Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you Chris Wilkins. Chris is a paracyclist. He's relatively new to paracycling and he has a vision impairment. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your impairment and how you got into cycling? Yeah, so I started riding a bike when I was roughly about eight years old. Sort of did mountain biking, road cycling, a bit of cyclocross. And then unfortunately, mm-hmm. just before my 19th birthday, I uh, sort of yeah lost my eyesight. And so I sort of picked up a tandem and then sort of ever since then, mm. I've never never really looked back. And so had you ridden competitively before then? Yeah, I used to do some road racing and some cyclocross races. It's fair to say I never really took it as seriously as I uh, as I do now. Mm. But yeah. And can we ask how you lost your vision? Yeah, I unfortunately I sort of suffered with a couple of sort of neuro issue type things that went unnoticed and then by the time it was noticed, unfortunately, the optic nerves had sort of had too much pressure on them and they mm. got destroyed. Right. And so how quickly did that happen? So it sort of almost went in sort of two stages. Mm. So I had one surgery in September 2018 and it was sort of like, I, I don't know the exact percentages, but if you imagined it was like 70% and then... I think maybe in around November 2018, it sort of went down to, let's say, like 20%, if that makes sense. It just sort of, in two stages, mm-hmm. it deteriorated. So it was relatively yeah. quickly. Yeah, wow. So what's your level of vision now? Like, what's your classification? So I am B2 classified. So I don't know whether you're familiar with how the classification works in blind power sport so there's b1 mm-hmm. b2 b3 b3 being the least sight impaired b1 being the most sight impaired it's fair to say so i was registered uh, classified b2 in 2020 mm-hmm. i think my eyesight was slightly better then so i was classified in 2019 and now yeah so i can sort of see shadows and a bit of light perception out the corner or, yeah, light perception and shadows mm-hmm. out the corner of my eyes. Right. But you have no central vision. Very, very limited, yeah, almost nothing, yeah. Mm. And so how quickly did you investigate, you know, having a tandem bike? <laughs> very quickly. I think uh, so if, mm. if I got out of hospital maybe at the end of November 2018, and then I want to say maybe as early as January 2019, me and my dad went round where we live. It's almost like a country park and they just by chance hired mm-hmm. tandems. And we yeah. had to go for about 10 minutes and decided it was probably best that for the sake of the family that we uh, <laughs> stopped, <laughs> stopped there. And then... Um, <laughs> Someone who is a family friend puts in contact with someone who just by chance knew someone who rode a tandem, very long convoluted process. And then when I went to college Mm -hmm. in Hereford, a blind college in Hereford, they partnered me up with, well, they 
someone got in contact with them. And yeah, that was my sort of first and second pilot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when did you start competing as a tandem cyclist? So technically, because of obviously since I've got involved with it, there's been COVID, so it's been a long so I haven't actually had the <laughs> timings there timings everything, yeah, exactly. isn't it, Chris? So I haven't exactly had the chance to compete yet, but so I've been on mm-hmm. GB Foundation camps. So I was involved within that the GB uh, Power Foundation setup, and me and my current mm-hmm. pilot Henry, who they partnered us up with, we are about to go into our first nationals at the end of January on the velodrome. Okay. And had you ridden a velodrome before your vision impaired? Uh, I'd ridden an outdoor velodrome maybe when I was about eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And I found it boring because you were riding around in a, <laughs> because you were riding around in a circle. <laughs> and I was thinking at, the, at eight or nine, I was riding a mountain bike. So mm-hmm. it's a little few left and right turns as opposed to just turning left, which I found more <laughs> enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But uh, in your in your relatively older years of your early twenties, you're now finding a new sense of enthusiasm for the velodrome. My coach, Scotty Helen, she will uh, absolutely love me saying this. I, I never really saw myself as a track rider, just because again, doing road mm-hmm. racing, it's a lot longer. And I I used to say it didn't really wear me out, but after like the last camp that we went on I think I, the rest of that week I was sort of moaning how sore I was just <laughs> but then because obviously the track is such short efforts mm. me and I mean yeah me and Henry we're more endurance riders so in fairness our event that we're most likely to get more success in is the four kilometer individual pursuit yep which is still sort of four, which is only four and a half minutes but it's surprising to me how much that uh, takes it out of the legs, that four and a half minutes. Mm. Yeah, but it's a completely different training environment or training challenge to compete on the track than it is on the road, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot more explosive and sort of getting all your power out within that. So that in that pursuit, you obviously go from a standing start, so you need all the power to get out the gate on this fairly big gear and then getting it up to speed as quick as possible and then holding that speed for the duration of the uh, race. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about what your training looks like at the moment? So you give us an average week. What's an average week? So we we it's almost in four weeks uh four weeks. So we have three weeks hard, one mm-hmm. week easy. And yep. it's, or I say easy, an adaptation week is probably the correct terminology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won't like me saying it's easy. Um, but yeah, so it's... It's a recovery yeah, it's week. it's a recovery <laughs> week. So I'm sort of, I'll have maybe two or three interval sessions and then a couple of endurance-based rides. So generally that's three hours endurance riding on, mm-hmm. on a Sunday. And then maybe two hours endurance ride on the week. And then again, yeah, there'll be like, so this week as an example, yesterday I had a three hour session, which was three minute maximum aerobic 
potential efforts times six over three mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we do a lot of standing starts, so going from no power to getting your power up. So that's sort of the training we're looking at. It's sort of, I think I've worked it out. It's between maybe 12 and 14 hours a week mm -hmm. I'm looking at. And how much of that are you doing on your own on a trainer as opposed to with Henry? Uh, at the moment, all of it. During the summer while I was at home, because I'm at university, we were doing definitely one of the endurance rides out on the road together because it's good that we train and build that partnership and friendship up as a team. But also yep. it then makes my training less monotonous because all of my training is on the turbo trainer. So it sort of gives me that break. Mm. Yeah. And so how are you making that training less monotonous? Like three hours on a trainer is not fun for anyone. So what do you do to kind of keep your interest level up and, and keep it challenging? Uh, so what do I so I, I generally I make the three hour endurance ride, I may split into two segments of an hour and a half, hour and a half, because I know I can ride that distance, mm -hmm. but then sort of breaking it into yep. more bike size hour and a half, hour and a half makes it a little bit more manageable. But during that session or any any of the sessions, I'll have the radio on. I might flick between a radio station, listen to the news, listen to a football podcast. I think that was one on Monday, listening to the analysis mm -hmm. of England going out the World Cup, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and then I think my, one of my most recent ones was during the 180 minutes I had on the bike, I come up with a reason per minute of oh, 180 things I would rather do than ride the turbo trainer. And uh, we did laugh, mm -hmm. me and Scotty, saying that next time I have that idea, I should every minute I'll send her the reason or item what I'd rather do. <laughs> Sounds like your coach has a nice sense she's, of humour. Uh, yeah, she's great. She's definitely got a good sense of humour and she's breathed sort of new life into the squad. Right. And so how do you go about your nutrition? So are you, you're at university. Obviously, you're balancing that schedule of training with your university hours. So how do you go about putting your nutrition together for the day? If you start, like, you know, if, if you give us a typical day's food intake. So I will generally I'll train before breakfast just to try and fit everything in in mm -hmm. the day. Some days, sort of especially the last three or four weeks, it's been very hectic with getting assignments my gym instructor portfolio done so i'll generally train before breakfast so i might have some fruit and a, some like bar type like fruit and nut bars or an energy bar mm -hmm. then i'll go and train then i'll have breakfast which might be some porridge and some brown toast with a little bit of jam or honey just to make it slightly less boring mm -hmm. lunch it might be like the uh these yeah packs like i told you it might be some like chicken teak or some peri peri chicken some brown rice and some veg and these are packs that you purchase from a supermarket as a like a pre-packaged meal but it's a yeah. fresh meal that has veggies and and things like yeah, that yeah so it's it? got yep. like your all the nutrients and macros balance out of 41 grams of protein etc mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't really want to be cooking in cooking from scratch in a student kitchen as you can imagine 
Oh yeah, that may do me more harm than good. Yes, I don't imagine the hygiene's well no. kept. And, in, and in then, there. so I might have a protein shake, a protein bar during the day as a snack to like keep me going. Get my again, get the protein in because mm-hmm. the training we're doing some days is very intense. And then for dinner, I'll either have something similar to what I've had for lunch, maybe a different flavour or something, or depending on, on what's on on the canteen at the at the uni, I might go there and eat. Just depends what the offering is, really. Mm-hmm. And is the offerings at the university canteen? Are they generally fairly healthy, or are they typical sort of student accommodation type meal? There is generally something that's slightly more healthier. So it's a free week rolling menu. So I think what is it on a Monday, as an example, it's always a past the healthier dish is your pasta type dish, or you can get chicken nuggets mm-hmm. or fish fingers or something. Fridays yep. are a little bit more of a struggle because again. Britain fish and chip Friday so that's mm-hmm. more of a struggle on a Friday mm-hmm. and then again Saturday night because everyone's going out on their night out apart from me it's generally something like a pizza or chicken kebab or mm. I'm trying to think what it is now it's been a while since I've been up there on a Saturday night uh, <laughs> obviously you don't go there very yeah, often <laughs> uh, burgers you or burgers so mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And so where have you sourced your nutrition information from for your cycling? So at the college I went to in Hereford, the uh, the blind college, I did a diploma in sport excellence. And part of that was a nutrition unit. Mm-hmm. So I sort of really managed to home in on my nutritional knowledge again over because I've always found it quite interesting, I think over lockdown as something to do because we were all sent home from the college, I sort of honed in on my mm-hmm. nutrition. And then also when we've yep. gone away on GB camps, our nutritionist Callum has done workshops, sort of advising us mm-hmm. on the things we should and shouldn't be eating as a guideline. So from a wide variety of sources, I suppose. And with your vision impairment, what do you find the most challenging about being able to maintain that good nutrition practice? I think in an ideal world, because if I had the site, I'd maybe be cooking what I'm eating for lunch fresh myself because, one, it's probably cheaper Mm -hmm. to go and buy the chicken breasts and the rice. It's probably cheaper to do that. And two, it is, again that little bit more fresh again, even though they are fresh, but it is that more fresh. So sort of in terms of the eyesight, maybe because then if I could see, I might be able to clean the surfaces down properly and then or yep. take away some utensils that I can use that that, that I know are clean. So in terms of that, that would probably, that's the yep. biggest challenge that I find with my eyesight. But again, I adapt it. So mm-hmm. I'll buy those meals and then it's the same thing. So Chris, have you noticed anything in particular with your vision impairment now, whether food tastes different or anything like that? I wouldn't necessarily say it tastes different, but what I would say is whereas before I was sort of stick to what I – I was a good eater. I wasn't a fussy eater, but mm. I wouldn't eat fish. But now, I don't know, maybe it's because I can't see it on the plate. I've certainly 
become a lot more adventurous. So when we went on holiday, I sampled, I think, four or five different types of fish. So I'm more adventurous now, I'd say, yeah. Uh-huh. Awesome. And has anyone ever pulled a joke on you with your food? Like put uh, something on your plate that you, <laughs> you not, weren't expecting? Not necessarily a, an item on my plate, but I think the first year that I'd gone blind, two of my best mates, Liam and Zoe, who I've known for six or seven years, uh, they decided it'd be funny to sort of see how many different items they could get in a glass of Coke and if I would notice. Uh, uh, so we'd gone out for a Nando's for my birthday and I think they managed to get a little bit of chilli oil a packet of salt a bit of pepper I'm lucky I've got quite a good sense of humour so it it makes me laugh but yeah At what point did you realise they were playing with you? I didn't realise, that was the best part (laughs) I didn't realise, yeah And what about the process of finding a guide, has that been something that you found easy to do or has it been quite challenging? I think it was definitely challenging to find someone who maybe shared the same ambitions or mm-hmm. not, maybe not ambitions because, again, while my dad never had ambitions, also his age, Mark in Hereford, he had hell of a lot of ambition in cycling as well but it was more sort of you needed to find Mm -hmm. someone closer to my age that could also potentially go forward but also maybe for something for the future and that's what we found Mm -hmm. with Henry who Helen she put us in put us together on a camp and then yeah, we sort of gelled instantly, and since then, me and Henry have, uh, I don't know, I'd say we've never looked back, but he may have tried to find someone new. You never know. He just hasn't told you. Yeah, he might have an <laughs> advert out on Facebook. but. <laughs> and so you said that with the track, you've got uh, national championships yeah. coming up. And what's then kind of in your pipeline at the moment so we haven't really because it's the track season in quotes there isn't really many track actual events for tandems so it really is sort of all on Mm. national championships and then we will transition into the road season so that'll be again national champs and the power road series Mm -hmm. we're quite we haven't really spoken about much more than that at the moment just because it's all focused solely on this national championships coming up in January. Mm. Yeah. And so in the UK, there's by the sounds of it, there's a series of races that are available for para-athletes or para-cyclists at least in on the road but not so much on the track. Yeah, I think it's more of a case of the amount of participants, obviously, if you imagine, mm-hmm. cycling is quite it's an expensive sport to start with. So, whereas if you think of a, in a year group, you might have a hundred football players, you might only have ten cyclists to start with. Then, when you then try and narrow yeah, yeah, it down yeah. to then para cyclists, the pool becomes even smaller. And so, I suppose it just isn't viable. Mm-hmm 
because they cost a lot of money to put on to, in terms of time to set up these events. Yep. So, yeah. And have you used the Zwift program at all to do some form of? Uh, I haven't. I know Scotty has been trying to get me to switch over to Training Peaks and Zwift uh, just because she can then adapt my training even more, make it slightly more enjoyable. But just with Mm -hmm. the app I'm currently using, it allows me to train completely independently in terms of the resistance will change on the turbo trainer. So then I don't have to have someone sitting there Mm -hmm. telling me you need to be putting this amount of power for this amount of minutes. It just all programs in and I just sort of have to pedal my legs round. Mm. Yeah, because I believe that is a limitation at the moment with with Swift that it's it doesn't really cater for the vision impairment and and the apps that you use on your phones. Is that right? Yeah. So you can program a session in, but it won't actually read out what you're no. doing. So, for instance, the app I use is called uh, Wahoo System. So I've got a Wahoo Kicker Turbo Trainer, and then right. that will say that has all my zones programmed in. So if it wants me to hold my FTP for 12 minutes, it will set the resistance to my FTP. And no matter how fast or slow I pedal, I can't go over it. Yeah, I can't. It's the same resistance. It'll either add more or take off. I can't go over the 300 watts. It enables me Mm -hmm. to train consistently, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. And do you use any other vision impairment specific apps for any other um, purposes? So I might use CNAI just for like a general day-to-day basis for checking dates mm-hmm. on things or seeing what an item is. But generally, if, if someone's around, I may just ask them because sometimes the apps aren't 100% accurate. If you've got a crease in a label, it's not going to pick it up. Yep. Okay. And so have you worked with many sports practitioners? You you mentioned that there was a nutritionist that worked with the camps that you've been going to. Have you worked with any other practitioners who've had to perhaps adapt the way that they're working specifically to your vision impairment? Um, At the moment, not as a blind athlete i mean in the past obviously i've seen physiotherapists mm-hmm. but i saw actually I, I saw a physiotherapist on thursday and that was just sort of guiding me around that's how they adapted their practice i mean i'm mm-hmm. doing so i'm a sports therapist and i'm at university sort of gaining qualifications and strength and conditioning and probably looking to go on to a sports rehabilitator masters and mm-hmm. so through being at that blind college, they've taught me how to actually identify muscles just by touch. And then so while I may not be able to see mm. an area is red and swollen, I could I know what it feels like. So I suppose that's how I've adapted my mm. practice. That's a really interesting I guess that exploration of your own body. Do you feel as though that you have a, a better knowledge now and a more in-depth kind of understanding of how your body works and, and 
things that you notice, you notice things a bit more yeah, acutely? I, certainly before I did that course, I wouldn't really know what a tight muscle feels like, but I, I, I now know obviously what a tight muscle feels like or potentially even what an injured mm-hmm. muscle feel, feels like. I know last year I volunteered at Hereford Football Club and we, I was able to work with some of the under-18 players and sort of feeling mm-hmm. all different types of injuries. And from that point of view, I sort of gained a lot of knowledge and experience. Wow. Yeah, really interesting. So what recommendations do you have for other potential paracyclists, whether they're vision impaired or otherwise, in terms of how you get into into the sport? So we're lucky with British Cycling around the country. It's sort of, if you imagine, it's all set up into regions and each region has a disability mm-hmm. hub generally. So they put on, so down in London, mm-hmm. they use the Olympic velodromes in Lee Valley and their outdoor track will have sessions. On Saturday, me and Henry were in, because I'm, I'm in Wales at the moment, we were in Newport on the track at their disability mm-hmm. session. So all around the country, there are disability sessions, just reaching out. Mm-hmm. And then also getting involved with your local cycling club I mean the team that I'm riding with uh, fulfill the potential uh, Billy the team manager he's sort of been very good at signposting opportunities to me and again without mm-hmm. that individual approach to actually look out and help you would you'd struggle but just by for again from my point of view for, and from a society point of view reading the club documents that are in PDF, that's not really accessible to me, but Billy has spent the time mm-hmm. to get that document and turn it into a Word document. And it's all little bits like that, really. So finding your local mm-hmm. cycling club definitely helps tenfold. Mm. Yeah. And what about in terms of how you've gone about finding a coach? Did you find your coach through the British Cycling camps or have you found your so, coach yourself? while I was at the uh, Royal National College for the Blind in Hereford again through finding the guy Mark who did some piloting for me in Hereford he was being coached by a guy called John C and so while I was in Hereford for three or so years all through that lockdown period John C was setting my training and then once mm-hmm. GB sort of got in touch because I did the testing again sort of maybe before the start of lockdown or I can't remember the exact date and so I sort Mm. of got not forgotten but because obviously the delay of the Olympics it's fair to say GB had bigger Mm. problem or not not problems bigger plans (laughs) should we say um so then Helen Scott Mm -hmm. who retired actually she's an accomplished tandem pilot God knows how many world mm-hmm. rec- uh, world records and world titles. She retired after Tokyo and sort of took on the foundation squad. And so mm. she now coach sets my training and keeps us on the straight and narrow. Mm. So, Chris, one more question before you go. Yeah. What's your favourite food? What's my favourite food? See, because I try and live such a healthy lifestyle... I always, struggle, I always struggle with this because if I want to have a cheat meal, 
it might be like something Italian, so like a nice cheesy lasagna or a pizza mm. or a curry. So it's always a, it's always a struggle. But at the moment, what am I really craving? Probably, I actually sort of fried chicken at the moment. So tomorrow night when I go home, that's my treat uh-huh. tomorrow night. So we're going to go to this nice, it's like a, yeah, like a fried chicken restaurant, but it's really sort of, they've taken the basic concept of fried chicken and sort of made it fairly complex, shall we say. <laughs> so it's a gourmet fried chicken. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I think I'm going to have the Christmas fried chicken. I think it's on the menu. So... <laughs> very appropriate so thank you so much for your time Chris I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little bit and we might have to come back and interview you again in a couple of years and see where you've managed to get to that's brilliant yeah no thank you well all the best for the future and yeah we'll look forward to to seeing what's to come awesome thank you for having me on It's great to see the opportunities that present themselves to youngsters who may be interested in becoming a higher level athlete in the future. I think the great message from Chris is that if you are resourceful and look for opportunities and put your feelers out, there's a long way that that can take you. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to share it with your social media, please do so. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Melissa Lacroix, who is a physiologist with Team Canada.